glad that we're able to spend some time together around this topic for a variety of reasons. I want to tell you kind of what we're doing and why we're doing it. We are going to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 over the next five months, first Wednesday of every month. So we're going to go in a little bit deeper into a section than we ordinarily would. And, and let me tell you why we're going to do that. This is, this is the, the passage that I preached when um, I was in Thailand with all the workers that gathered from all the areas of un- unreached people group work. And this is, the, this is the passage that I felt like the Lord led me to teach in that venue. Um, it, was, it was frustrating in one sense because there are very few of our folks in the experience. It was Lindley and me and Scott was in there and then a the few other people. Most everybody was somewhere else doing a lot of the work. And I was able to see with these hundreds of people from all over East Asia Um, I was able to see and observe a lot of what God was doing in their lives through our time together. And it it was really, really incredible. And I kept thinking to myself, man, I wish the folks who are here with Southside could be in here experiencing what God is doing right now. And then that kind of just went over into, I wish our whole church family was here right now experiencing what the Lord is doing. It was just such a sweet time, and um, the Lord dramatically worked in my own heart and uh, worked in Lindley's heart, and I'm here to tell you that we're still dealing with what God began to do in our hearts during that time, and my heart is still not settled because of what happened then. And so I came home and I was like, what do I do with all that God did there and in me? How do, how do I capture that? How do I share that? And I didn't have a good answer. Some, somebody on the trip suggested that I jump right in and teach this material and that I share this with our church. And I just, I just didn't know what to do. And so I put it on the back burner since last June. And I just kept it there before the Lord. Lord, if, if you want me to share some of these things with our church family, then I, I need you to, to make it clear. And I'm just going to wait. And so last semester we went through something else and regroup. And this semester I had about 10 things I was brainstorming and asking the Lord what he wanted me to do. And I just, I felt like he was leading me to do this. Now, here's the challenge in me doing this. These, those three verses in the experience in Thailand represent a great work in my own heart. And so, as you can see, there are emotions involved in that. Um, I can't try to duplicate what happened then with us now. That, that, that can't be my efforts. And so as I sat preparing today, I, th- I kept wrestling with, I cannot 
repeat what happened there because what happened there was your work. And that was then and there. And now I'm asking you to do a new work in my heart and in our hearts as we dig into the same truths. And so I'm enthusiastic about what new work God will do in my life and in your lives as we dig into these truths. But bear with me if I get hung up along the way and get off on a tangent of talking about something related to then. I'm not trying to repeat what happened then. I'm still processing what God is doing in my own heart that started then and is continuing to this moment. And I just want to invite you into that as we gather around Romans chapter 12. Our theme is abide, abide in Christ. It's this idea of lingering in the presence of God. It's it's staying with him no matter what. And Romans 12, 1 through 3 encourages us, demands us to abide in Christ. And we're just going to rip this thing apart backwards and forwards and see how much we can be challenged and demanded to abide in Christ. It's like Acts chapter 27 where Paul is on a ship, a, a vessel that's going to be shipwrecked. And he knows this is going to happen and he tells the crew about it and he says, I want you to know that we're all going to live, but you guys got to follow what I'm going to say because Jesus Christ, the one who's created everything, has told me we're going to be okay and I have the way to safety. Some of the guys on the ship that decided we don't want to listen to that guy. We think the lifeboats look a little bit more appealing than him. And so we're going to try to get in the lifeboats and get away from the ship and save ourselves. Paul got wind of this and he told some of the guys in charge, he said, if these guys do this, they're not only jeopardizing themselves, they're jeopardizing everybody. You're not going to live through this. We all have to stay in the ship for this to work out. And so those guys went and they cut the ropes to the lifeboats so that no one could leave the ship by another route. If you know the story, they do have the shipwreck and everyone is saved through the peril because they did remain on the ship. My prayer is that over the next five months together, we might make decisions to abide in Christ that would be reflected by cutting the ropes of everything in our life that gives us a temptation not to abide in Christ. To just let the Lord, Lord, whatever it is that's attached to the vessel of my life that I look as an out from trusting completely in you, that I use as a way not to follow you with my whole heart, everything in my life that's attached to my life, help me see it and cut the ropes to those things so that all I have left is you. I just want to learn to abide in you. And and that's our goal. That's my prayer. That's what I hope the Lord and praying the Lord will do in This time together. So let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 together. Romans 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God or because of the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, 
acceptable to God, which is your spiritual or reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. If you look at the first few words there in Romans 12, therefore, I urge you by the mercies or because of the mercies of God. So what we're going to be urged to do to present ourselves a living sacrifice is because of or through or by the mercies of God. Now you notice chapter 12 verse 1 starts with the word therefore and we know that that's referring to something that comes before that moment and so whatever's come before Romans 12:1 is giving us light an understanding insight on what Paul is getting at here about the mercies of God and so I want to go back to the beginning of Romans and just kind of take a look through Romans to get this, this foundation of how we're to understand the concept of the mercies of God as unfolded in the book of Romans. All right, so go back to Romans chapter 1 with me. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, we see the theme of Romans communicated here. This is what the entire book is going to be about. Romans 1, 16-17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. All of Romans is about the gospel and how the gospel is the way God brings about salvation. And the way God brings about salvation through the gospel is by faith. So foundationally, that's what we're told about Romans here at the very beginning so we know where we're headed as we work through Romans. Now look at the very next thing that's said in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And then it goes on to say that these people who had the knowledge of God and were without excuse for not responding to the knowledge of God actually responded to the knowledge of God by ignoring it, by going against it, by rebelling against it, and pursuing instead their own idolatries, worshiping everything else but God, and choosing to become idolaters, worshiping the created thing as opposed to the creator. 
And God says, I have given them over to their passion to be idolaters. And he paints this picture of this rebellion against him. And then the Jews come along saying, well, yeah, we, we understand that perspective of the world, but we have all the oracles of God. We have the laws of God. We have all that God has given us. He's chosen us to be his people. And so they're questioning this idea of depravity, of sinfulness and rebellion that God has attributed towards everyone based on how they've responded to him as he's revealed himself in creation. And God has a word for them. that They have not escaped guilt. In chapter 2, And chapter 3, establish the perspective that every single person has rebelled against God, has broken His laws, whether they knew them or not. And because they have broken His laws, they are then vessels of wrath. That everyone, because of sin against God, is a person who is due the wrath of God. Now look at what he says here in the, in the, in the middle of chapter 3. Verse 11. Well, let's start in verse 10. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together And they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 20. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Everyone. Everyone. Is due the wrath of God. Now here's the challenge. We rarely, if ever, I don't know that we ever, see ourselves the way we really are. Apart from Jesus Christ, according to Romans chapters 1 through the first half of 3, apart from Jesus Christ, we are that description. We have never sought God. We have never feared God. We are due the wrath of God. No matter how bad you might admit that you have been, Apart from Christ, it will not be bad enough. Vessels of wrath. No hope, no God, no life. Nothing but wrath. That's it. Look at verse. 21 of chapter 3, here's a turning point in the message of Romans. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made manifested, 
being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom He displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Did did you hear what that just said? Did you hear the display of God's righteousness? God could have displayed His righteousness by pouring out His wrath on each of us justifiably. He could have adequately and sufficiently displayed every bit of His righteousness perfectly without flaw by pouring out His wrath on all of us. But He didn't. Because apart from the law, he said there's a righteousness that comes through faith. You can't get it from the law because you have failed and you're deserving of my wrath. And so what I have done is I have fulfilled the law through my son Jesus Christ. I have established the perfection of the law in Christ. And I sent him to die and take all of my wrath on himself for you, so that if you will place your faith in Him, He will appease my great anger toward you. If you will place your faith in Him, then He will declare you justified simply because you believed in His work. That is mercy. That is grace. That is a picture of the mercies of God that he would take someone who is deserving of God's wrath more than anyone else or as much as anyone else in all the world and say to them, if you trust in my son upon whom I poured all my wrath for your sin, I will justify you and declare you righteous with the righteousness of my son because there is a righteousness I'm revealing about myself that comes simply through your faith in Jesus. Just trust my son and you will be transformed by my mercies from a vessel of wrath to a vessel of mercies. Instead of filling up with your life and your actions and your attitudes and your, and your, and your perspectives in this world, instead of filling up who you are with the wrath of God, you instead, because of the work of Christ, get to fill up your life with the mercies of God, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus has done. Mercies. Did did you know when Jesus told Peter and the disciples he was going to be killed and Jesus pulled Peter aside and said to Peter, that's not going to happen to you. You know what Peter actually said there? The the actual words he used in that moment was, mercy to you. That will never happen to the Messiah. 
He called on the mercy of the Father to be extended to the Son so the Son would never taste what the Son said He would taste. What Peter didn't understand was that the plan for the mercies of God was to remove all mercy and all graciousness from Jesus so that God might extend all mercy and all grace to vessels of wrath. I mean, is that not amazing? That God has decided in his, in his forbearance, in his kindness, to say, I will forgive you. Not because of what you've done. Not because of how you love me. Not because of how you follow me. Not because you are better than the other person you thought was worse than you. I have decided to forgive you because of the satisfying work of my son. So trust in him and you will become a vessel of mercy. And it will change everything. Everything. You see, if we work hard, we get a wage. If we, if we perform well in a contest, we get a prize. If we do well in some, in some activity, we might get an award for that. But listen, when you get something for nothing, it is not earned. When you get something as a gift, when you deserve absolutely the opposite, that is the favor of God. The mercies of God is the favor of God that He has poured out on us. We are recipients of the favor of God. What what I'm hoping over the next five months is that we would cut some of the ropes like fear. We would say, Lord, I want to abide in you. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be afraid of the future. I don't want to be afraid of what I might lose. I don't want to be afraid of leaving and moving and giving up stuff. I don't want to be afraid of going and telling my neighbor. I don't want to be afraid of being made fun of. I don't want to be afraid of being alone. I don't want to be afraid of anything. I want to cut the ropes to everything that might cause me to not abide in you. And I want to abide in you because you are the only one who fills this vessel who needs mercy. I just want to cut that rope so that I abide in you. Because the mercies of God, when we see them, when we view them, when we keep them in mind, when they're the foundation for everything we do from that point forward, then it changes everything we do. We don't have to be ashamed anymore. I don't have to stand before you and pretend that I'm perfect. I don't don't have to be a pastor who acts like he has it all together because I'm not a vessel of perfection in the law. I'm a vessel of mercy. You don't have to pretend that you're not dabbling in some sin anymore. You can just come out and say, I'm dabbling in some sin and I, I need to be a vessel of mercy here and receive the mercies of Christ in this moment. You don't have to be afraid of what's happening in your home and not telling somebody what's going on in your marriage. You don't have to be afraid, teenagers, to, to think, I don't connect with my parents. I don't know how to do this life as a teenager. I don't fit in at school. I don't know how to be a Christian. You don't have to work in the shame and fear of who you are. You are a vessel of mercy and you can cut the ropes of all of that stuff and abide totally in Christ. That's what he's done for you. That's who you are. A vessel of God's mercies. I remember there's a couple times that Lindley and I have spent 
some very memorable moments at uh, some rivers. One of them is a river in the Yellowstone National Park. If you've been there, there's a river you can walk down and stand on a platform, and it's this enormous, massive river. And it flows over the edge of this huge cliff, creating this massive waterfall. Now, I'll never forget standing there and leaning out over the edge and looking at this water flowing by with this incredible power, massive amounts of power. And it really made you scared, so scared that you kind of had to step back a little bit, afraid that it, because if you fell in, you knew that the moment you fell into that water, it's over. In fact, there's stories about people who have tried to jump out on a rock or something in there and just get out into the river just a little bit, and they stumbled and they fell in and they were gone just like that. You you cannot save yourself once you're in that river. You cannot change the course of that river. You cannot get out of that. You can't swim out of it. Once you're in that river, you are subject to the power of that river. That is the river of God's mercies. Once you are in the mercies of God, you can't swim out of them. Once you're in the mercies of God, you can't fight it. Once you're in the mercies of God, you will drown in the mercies of God. It's a river you cannot change the course of. It's a river you cannot affect. You can step into the river of God's mercies with all the sin you could accumulate in a lifetime and you will not lower the river of God's mercy one ounce. He has enough mercy to cover all your sin. He will take you away. I can remember another river that I love to stand in. It's clear. It's nice. You can wade out in it. It's beautiful water. It's clean, cold water. And I love standing in that river just thinking about the water going by. Because something about those waters you can wade in like that is that the water just keeps on coming. And it just keeps on coming. And every moment you're standing there in that river of clear, cool water, you're experiencing brand new water. There's not a bit of that water that's coming by you twice. It's all new water. If you stand in that water, That's constantly new every second. You were to take a little cup and dip that cup in that river and lift it up. It'd be full to overflowing. You could pour it out and you could dip it out again. You could even pour it out on the bank and dip it in again. You just keep filling that cup in over and over. You could get a bigger cup. You could get something so big you could barely hold it. Dip it down that water. You could lift it up. It'd be overflowing. You could not deplete that water. You would not show any evidence in that river that that water had been depleted by the cups you dripping in there and every time you dip a cup in there it's brand new water every single time just like God says in Lamentations every morning my mercies are new here's the problem sometimes I think we take the cup our vessel of mercy and we put it on the shelf and we forget that we're always broken we're always broken And that means we got to stay in the river of God's mercy with our cup and just keep on dipping the cup over and over and over again. Keep on getting washed away in that river to stay in the river of mercy because we always need God's mercies. We never graduate from needing the mercies of God. We never outgrow the mercies of God. We never outsanctify the mercies of God. We never move beyond it. We don't get good enough to move beyond the basic need for the mercies of God. 
We just got to stay in there and recognize that we are a vessel of mercy always. And we're always in need of the mercies of God. And God's mercies are so sufficient that there is never a time when we won't be overflowing with the mercies of God. Never. Ever. I hear people say things occasionally about what they think about their lives. And I'm just so frustrated with how things are going right now spiritually. I just don't feel like things are going good. I know I need to be doing more. I know I need to get better. I'm just really not praying well right now. I'm not. And they talk about their lives as if they're not measuring up to God. And it's got them depressed. Well, if you ever begin to talk about your spiritual life in a way that you think you're up to par with God and you feel excited about that, that will depress you more than the other. Here's the thing, when we look at who God is, and we see His perfection and holiness, and we understand that we are merely vessels of mercy, then the fact that we are still imperfect people simply means we are still vessels of mercy. And as long as we are vessels of mercy, God will allow us to dip our cup as deep and as often as we choose. Because there is coming a day when he'll take the cup out of our hand because we'll no longer need that river of mercy. We'll be made brand new and it'll be done. But until then, we've got to abide in the mercies of God. Did you know that you can't come to the altar of making a sacrifice with your life outside of the mercies of God? Did you know that you cannot put yourself onto the altar of God for sacrifice with your life without the mercies of God. And did you know you cannot stay on that altar as a sacrifice to God without the mercies of God? Did you know that there's nothing you can do apart from Christ that does anything to worship God? It is the mercies of God that bring forth from vessels of wrath worship of God. So just hang out in the mercy of God. Focus on it. Dwell in it, embrace it, and keep filling up your cup over and over and over again. And it will change the way you spend the rest of your life. Because it won't matter what the world says. It won't matter what fears are there. It won't matter what apprehensions are there. If you are living from the mercies of God, you will go anywhere and do anything for the God of all mercy. When, when the Golden Gate Bridge was being manufactured, they had some significant delays early on in the building process. They had built scaffolding up to, in order to build the bridge, and as the scaffolding got higher and it got more dangerous in its location, there were several people that actually fell out of the scaffolding to their death as they were trying to build the Golden Gate Bridge. As you can imagine, if you were a worker in that situation and you were not one of the ones that died. You would then be scared of dying and it would slow the process. You'd be really cautious and even more careful and maybe even hesitant to do some of the things you were being asked to do. And the delays were so significant that they were spending inordinate amounts of money trying to find a solution so they could speed back up the, pr the production of the bridge. And somebody came up with the idea, let's build a massive net and let's string this massive net underneath the area where we're building the bridge. At first, they didn't want to do it because it costs so much. But then they figured if we can do this and it really works, we'll make up our cost. 
And so they did it. They built this massive net and they put it underneath the building section of the Golden Gate Bridge. And sure enough, as soon as they got the net there, the productivity went out the roof. They started working like crazy. And the couple guys fell off the deal into the net. And you, you know, I mean, they thought that was really cool. And they had to tell them, you can't just do that for fun. It's there for safety. Because all of a sudden, fear was gone. It was gone. Because they had a net. It would always catch them. You don't have to be afraid to follow Jesus. You don't have to be afraid to tell somebody about Jesus. You don't have to be afraid to tell somebody where you're struggling with sin. You don't have to be afraid to admit you're not all that you have made yourself out to be. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Because the mercies of God are always there to catch you. It all begins with the mercies of God. Abide in his mercies. It will change your life.